Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chessie Hour. Uh, I'm your host for today, Jerry. Uh, I'm joined by two uh, lovely guests. Uh, we've got Shemi in the studio. Yo, what's good? Yeah, and then we've got Dan, of course. You call me a lovely guest. Like yeah, it. man. It's soft. It's, it's a little bit soft, but it's cool. <laughs> National break. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. We haven't had any football for a while, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we can't talk that much smack right now. You know, you know what I'm saying? The season hasn't started that good. My boy's yeah, yeah. gone. Everything seems a mess. But Jerry, we're gonna make sense of it, right? Yeah, we're gonna try. We're gonna try. Okay. Hey. So uh, obviously, it's the international break currently. Um, I think the last fixture we played was the 14th of September, uh, and the next time we'll play again is the first of I think first or second of October. So it's quite quite a big gap. But I thought we could start off by reviewing um, how the season's gone so far. Um, in terms of just giving a quick overview, we've played six games in the Premier League, um, two in the Champions League. We currently sit seventh in the Premier League, 10 points from six games. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, do you, how do you think it's gone so far, Dan? So, What's your assessment of the okay. season so far? Can I just ask one thing, Jerry? Don't lead me with your with your question answer. asking. Sorry, don't lead me. So you gave me all of that. Oh, we're seventh, only ten points and stuff like that. How's the season gone? How can then I think? How can I then say, oh, it's been great? Of course, it's not been ideal. <laughs> just sacked our manager. Do you know what I'm saying? So obviously, it's been a bit crazy. But let's remember, we've had a crazy summer. We lost Roman Abramovich. <laughs> we lost all of the boards. Um, the whole team it seems like it's a bit crazy because like looking at it now we don't have it maybe we'll come out in a book 10 years or whatever later um, I mean we, maybe Pulisic will release it in his book as well but um, we don't know whether towards the end of the transfer window Bowley just said fuck it and I'm not listening to Tuchel anymore and I'm just going to bring in the players that I because it seems like Hudson-Odoi wanted to leave but then Bowley whispered in his ear like no nah, just, just hold off just hold off 
your boy, the boy you hate might not be around for long. So I just feel like even in the squad, it's a bit of a mismatch of, I know people say mismatch, whatever, but I'm talking about this summer, I feel like Tuchel's kept players that maybe Bowley would have sold. So I think with Aspi, Tuchel's fighting to keep him. Maybe if Tuchel, we got rid of Tuchel, Aspi wouldn't be here. And in the same way we got Oberin, who was Tuchel's guy, but at the same time, we've kept people like Pulisic, who it seems like Tuchel was ready to let go. Because, listen, for all of the, everything that's being released now, we can see Pulisic really has, like, pure hate for, for, Tuchel, for Tuchel. And obviously, we kind of got the kind of vibe from his dad and stuff like that. But I'm just painting the picture of the mess that is Chelsea. Now, I know, I think we're sports fans sometimes because when Roman Abramovich was going and it was sanctions, et cetera, et cetera, we were winning. And I know that as Chelsea fans, we can almost expect a roller coaster. And I feel like some people just expect results during a roller coaster. But I think it's important to realise the amount of craziness that's gone on. It's not a surprise that we haven't started the season well. Like, even... Now what we're hearing from behind the scenes and how Bowley and Tuchel didn't get on, do you know what I'm saying? And, like, we're holding on to players. Colwell, do you know what we were supposed to... I don't, it just seems like such a mess and it feels like even players, when Brozier's getting a five-year contract, even though, you know what I'm saying, before it seemed like he really wanted to go. So I just feel like even the players, maybe they had the feeling like, yo, Tuchel might not be... From what we're hearing from Bowley, Tuchel might not be here for long. Well, some of the players anyway. And so the season hasn't started well. That was the question you asked me. Yeah. But I'm just, for me, it's understandable because of the mess. Yeah, I think definitely for me anyway, you almost take it for granted um, was how unsettling that can be behind the scenes. I've always thought we sometimes do our best work in times of chaos, but I'd say this, this goes one step further than chaos. This is like just pure upheaval. Um, can, I, can I even add to that? Because... I feel like we do our best work after the chaos. Yeah. So what will happen is mad upheaval will happen and then that upheaval will bring everybody together and then the craziness will happen. Um, but maybe that's just me being optimistic. No, that, that's happened countless seasons. I can't know. Countless seasons where yeah. we've had like mad turbulence during the season and probably sat the manager or something like earlier on. Think of like, I think back to like, Di Matteo, uh, AVB, and then we just ended the season on a mad high. Lampard, yeah. So we just ended, and we just ended up the season with two Champions League trophies and two of those seasons, right. or like a Europa League or FA Cup. And it's always been like rosy towards the end. I remember um, Rafa Benitez's last game, they'll say, We forgive you, Rafa. That's how much uh, <laughs> okay. the, the vibe had turned. Do you know that's, what I mean? So it always happens. You're right. Literally true. But what's interesting yeah. though, like I'm trying to think now. And I haven't prepared the answer, but it will be interesting for us to try and brainstorm together as Chelsea experts and stuff like that. But usually the the seconds don't come this early in the season. I remember when we lost to Rosenberg ages ago under Mourinho when he first got sacked. We lost in the Champions League to Rosenberg. That was about September. Yeah, it was early in the season, right? Yeah, it was early. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I feel like there's not many managers that we've had where we sacked them early in the season. So this is a bit of a newer experience. I can't remember, but apart from that um, uh, Mourinho one, I don't remember a really early second for us. Under, I think Dimitri was caught. Not... Dimitri was about November. Yeah, yeah, that was like, yeah that's yeah. another one. That's another one, and I, I, I like that second. I can't lie. I like. Yeah, when... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. Yeah. No. To be to be fair. Um. Sorry. Just to to chip in on Jerry's question. I think yeah. It's 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 been average to say the to say the least in terms of performances and results. Of course, we know that. I'm not going to echo the context that Dan's put behind it because there is context. We know that. But at the same time, I feel like there is. I still feel like there's reasons, small reasons to be optimistic, just simply because um you've got like Sterling who started off really really well and looks really good. Um, we've got um, Fofana who's even though he's only played two games, I've kind of liked the look of. Um, and you know, you've got players that are still kind of to are, who are still kind of bedding in and to come into their best form. Players like Kulibali, still to see the best of who I believe will come good. Um, so, so, and so obviously, me, sorry, go let, on. let me interrupt you. Let me ask you so, you, yeah. you, your first point was on Sterling. What was your initial like opinion on, on his signing? Yeah, I, I think I was on the main pod with uh, like Meads and I can't remember uh, Mariah and someone else. And I was initially I was a bit apprehensive. Um, because I wasn't sure how um, he would translate in terms of, you know, you know how City's system is, um, how it's by design, how he gets a lot of, you know, goals inside the box and stuff like that. And I wasn't sure if we played to to, to that way. Um, that was kind of my only concern. But what Sterling has shown is that he's still got that individualism about him, that he can still kind of make goals for himself um, away from that. Um, and that's only been to our benefit. So... Um, initially, I was slightly apprehensive, not crazy apprehensive, just slightly apprehensive. But now I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I really, I've, I've really got, enjoyed watching him. I've got a long memory. You like literally started the the Sterling to Chelsea bandwagon. I remember it was just random, just <laughs> yeah, yeah, on a random ages ago. And you was like, Dan, what do you think of Sterling to Chelsea? Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do remember because I was looking at his contract. I saw he had one year left in his contract, and I thought. Obviously, this is a winger who's put up numbers consistently. Mm-hmm. So then I, I saw it from, from, from far off. I was like, hmm, Sterling to Chelsea could happen, could happen. And then when it actually started to become a reality, that's when I started to get a little bit apprehensive. It's so funny because I didn't yeah. actually think, you know what I mean? And this but, is what, and, and this part of it, what you're feeling, I think this is all Chelsea fans now and how like football's become now. Because like, do you know what? Like sometimes when a shout becomes attributed to your name, yeah. when it becomes real, it's like, okay, cool. Is this actually a good this shout? Is a, yeah. Is this actually a good shout? But here's my, the thing, you because you came in and you, you just said, guys, what do you think about this? And I remember saying, um, and I think I've said it on the pods countless times, like um, I, in previous, like ages ago, I've written off Sterling too many times to write him off. And I, I believe that he could score goals here. I know that everybody's kind of painting this doomsday scenario where no one can score goals at Chelsea. We don't create an exit and all this. It's, it's Harlan's here. He's not going to score goals. He won't score that many goals. We don't create and stuff like that. But I think Sterling, and I, I don't understand why people are Ray Charles in it, but Sterling's showing how that's bullshit. Like, it's not just individual goals he's scoring. He has scored goals where he's been in the right place to get a tap in as well. Um, yep. And I think with Sterling, it's just because he's played at a high level for so much and because he backs himself so much, I don't believe he's getting support from our fans because especially one match, I can't remember what match it was that I went, but I was actually at Stamford Bridge. And the amount of things where it was going wrong for Sterling and people was on his, this is a new signing. People was on his back, on his back, on his back until he scored. I remember we came out second half and he scored quite early, but people was on his back. And I just feel like with Sterling, because he's been at it for so long, like from a teenager, do you know what I'm saying? At a high level. And he's not been bit part from his career. So like, I just feel like he backs himself so much, but I just feel like maybe with some of our younger players, it's a bit harder to handle. Um, but I think with Sterling, we've got someone that, again, like he just believe in his, he believes in his own way so much. I remember Drogba was talking about how like the fans weren't behind him when he first came. But again, he's someone else that just 
he believes in his own wave. And I just feel like part of why our season hasn't started that well is I don't think the fans, are, the, the players are getting that much support. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think part of it is just we expect so much. And so anytime something goes wrong, there's groans and all that type of stuff. But I feel like yeah. the good thing with Sterling is that that's not going to get to him. And even even just to add on to that, sorry, yeah. One thing about Sterling as well is that he's been used to, to like adversity his whole career. So even like away from club level, even at England level. Yeah, yeah. And he had that at a very young age. So he was able to kind of, he dealt with all of that at a young age. So yeah. like he's kind of matured to a point where, and he's at a point where he's kind of been through it all kind of at the age of 27, which is crazy to say. He's literally yeah. been seen at all play at, the, play at every kind of level. And that could only go well for us because as you said, like there's nothing that can face him. Yeah. And he's just here doing his own thing, playing his own game. Yeah. And it's working to, to our to our good so far. So long may yeah. continue. Yeah, and- and again, I think one of the things that apparently Sterling was excited to do was someone like Hassan Adoy, who, again, is a young player, not necessarily because he hasn't had the, the catalogue of... But like, even with Sterling with the catalogue performance, people are still getting onto him. But I think he wanted to kind of help mentor him. And Hassan Adoy was like, listen, I've had so many mentors. Let me just get out and play. And I think he made the right decision. But I think with Sterling, I think he kind of recognises that as well. And I remember just before, was it the World Cup of the Euros? One of, one of them, they interviewed Sterling and they they was kind of doubting him. And he rolled his eyes at him. He's like, you're doubting me again. So like, he's just used to people doubting him and he's used to kind of overturning it. Um, and so, yeah, obviously Sterling's been one of the bright spots of the season. We touched on Koulibaly and Jerry will come back to you. I think with the Koulibaly thing, number one, I think Chelsea fans just have the memories of goldfish and maybe it's football fans in general but I don't give a shit about them so I'm just I, I don't just analyze Chelsea I analyze Chelsea fans that's part of that. maybe that's a segment of the podcast but <laughs> with Chelsea fans like I remember Koulibaly first game it was amazing amazing I very remember, good yeah but even like very very good Chilwell remember the Chilwell goal or was it um Chilwell got a penalty. Chilwell got a penalty and it was an amazing pass from Koulibaly. So like, and this is just not even defending. Amazing pass for Koulibaly. Then Koulibaly scored that goal <laughs> the next game. Plus Koulibaly's passing has been amazing. And in there too, we've seen some great defending from Koulibaly too. But yep. yes, there was, like he has shown like he hasn't adjusted straight away to the Premier League. Shock horror. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> and now it seems everybody's shitting on him. This is, mm. listen, to paint the picture, to paint the picture, um, we knew that all of a sudden we had to redo our whole defence because of the, the, like, well, we thought as P was going to go, but um, Kristen gone, Christensen gone, Rudiger gone, and we know that, listen, Thiago Silva's amazing, but he's just turned 38. Was it today or yesterday? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so we knew we was going to have to have major surgery to our defence. The idea that we're going to flood our defence with all these new players and we're going to be just amazing from the beginning. And this is why I'm talking about Chelsea fans and, like, your patience is, is so, it's so um, ridiculous. I just, impatience. Your impatience is so ridiculous. Um, but I just feel like in terms of the squad, the defence, again, there's so many heads there. The midfield, there's so many heads there. Attack, there's so much flux. For me, it's not a surprise that the season's a bit mad. And Mendy as well sometimes... The confidence comes from your goalkeeper making those strong saves and that kind of breeze through your team. So far, it hasn't started that way for Mendy. So where people are kind of micro-analyzed all these different players and the fact that they're not amazing straight away, I feel like they just need to chill. And that, that's to go with Sterling. And obviously Sterling's putting up numbers so that people are, are happy. But 
I just feel like Chelsea fans sometimes be fans. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? As in support, be supporters and just relax. But yeah, uh, over to you, Jerry. I think I think it was interesting you talking about that before about you know the support or the lack of support mm. and uh, reading uh, Rudy Guzalaj's comments today <laughs> saying that he in- intentionally made mistakes to get the Chelsea fans up. Mm. Um, I just, just found that interesting. But um, Dan, if I if, if I could come back to you, so yeah. Shemi listed listed about three things which you thought were positives from the season. Mm-hmm. Could you what if you had to give me three two or three things that you think um, haven't gone so well or would you say the negatives from the start of the season? Negative. I thought you were going to come for more positives. Why do I got to be the... the... <laughs> Fine, because I, I guess I've been positive. So in terms of negatives, I feel like it's very, very negative that we basically planned the season with one manager and we've ripped up and we've started again with another manager. And so it's now difficult to set high expectations on this season just because we are changing the culture, we are changing, we're starting from ground zero once again. Um, and obviously if we overperform, we overperform, but it's just difficult now to have high expectations. It's difficult also, like it's a new manager putting together a new puzzle and some of the new pieces might not fit. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. They're all good players. So like, um, it's just difficult because even you can have two, you can have really good players, but then it's like, if the, the new manager likes Kukurela as, as an example, who I think has been a positive, if he, if he likes the idea of, of him at left centre-back and then Sterling at um, left wing-back, he's not left wing-back, whatever you want to call it, I don't give a shit. Um, but in that position, that is basically left wing-back, um, then then you kind of ask, okay, cool, what does that mean Kulabali plays? Now, Kulabali again, might play in the, the middle because we all, I just said Thiago Silva's 38 and stuff like that. But it's just one man's vision for the squad. We, we went into the season with one man's vision and there's a new man who's definitely going to have a new vision. And so we don't necessarily have the right pieces. And so, again, Oba's in, but then maybe he's going to like, I want to go with Broja. And so then we just got Oba there. And then, like we've kind of noticed with Chelsea over the last few managers, when you have egos and then they get kind of put on the bench, that bad vibe can spread through the dressing room and we just didn't need that. And so obviously that's for me the biggest, um, the big like again I get Bowley and them and and Baghdad, uh, I can't remember, I, the other guy I can't remember his name, but they, Bali. yeah okay so him I get that they really wanted to back Tuchel because they probably was like okay cool let's give him everything that he wants to succeed then on, along the way they realised he's not playing ball he doesn't rate us so we need to get rid of him. And so I just, I get the situation. I'm not blaming them for it because I think initially they tried to back him and then they realised maybe we just don't get on with him. We need our own guy. And so they made that decision. But I just feel like um, it it's, it's people's lives as well. You know, people up through, they get convinced to come to play for this manager, then that manager goes. Um, and and it, it is a big mess. So that's number one. That is... Um, I don't like number two will be the fans, which I've gone about already. I just feel like the fans, not just in the stadium, but in general, um, I don't, I don't like, I don't like it. To be fair, I, I generally haven't liked how fans behave because I guess fans are immature generally, or maybe more emotional, and so not logical. And and football's an emotional game, so I get it, and you you get the good with the bad. The beauty of football 
is when everything's going um, right and that emotion, that collective emotion makes amazing scenes, right? But then when everything isn't perfect, I don't like it a lot. I see a lot of it as immaturity, but I get um, So the fans in general, I, again, that's, I think that's the second thing that I, I really dislike so far this season. And then if I was to say the third thing that I really dislike this season, uh, if I think about a three... Um, yeah, I guess, and maybe this is kind of doubling to the first point, but just the squad size seems massive. It just seems massive. And I think one of the things that has undone us for a, a long while is just having too many options so that um, it gets to the point where it's almost like a pie. And like, because there's so many options, like all of these kind of players have like thin slices and they don't get enough form. I think Hudson Odoi talked about it. Um, so, yeah, I just think looking at the squad now already, defence, way too many options, uh, midfield, way too many options, um, and even attack, I think, way too many options. But yeah, I, I guess those, those are the three for me. It's funny because I remember quite distinctly when Tuchel first came in around that period, um, our squad size was being talked about as one of the big positives. I don't know if you guys remember because we were able to rotate because we were playing such an intense pressing uh, counter pressing game, um, and we were able to rotate. Obviously, we had most of our midfielders fit. I think um, and we were able to just rotate between them. Um, no, but and- I think I think with the midfielders as an example, to have three players, three senior players for two positions, that that is good, and and a one young player in Billy Gilmore. So for that pivot, I think that's ideal. I f- I feel like that is ideal. Um, I think. The attack always way too many bodies, and that's why Tammy and Giroud barely got played because again there was way too many bodies. But I like the fact I almost like the fact that he just chose the guys that he went he went with, and he didn't try to incorporate everyone. And that I think he got rid of Giroud and Tammy straight away. I'm not saying that the he made the right picks because again he went and bought Lukaku or whatever. So, but I'm just saying that the fact. Yeah, not just decisive, the fact that I feel like when you try to bring along too many players in positions, then you're killing yourself because mm-hmm. people are going to be unhappy, resentment's going to build, they're going to be talking smack behind your back. When you're when you're losing, that shit's going to double up against you because they're going to talk to the other players that aren't playing and they're going to build like a whole thing. And then even when some, some of the players that are playing, they drop forward and they come out of thing, they're like, oh yeah, join our club of resentment. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's mm-hmm. like, that's why I feel like big misery squads, loves company. I, that's why I feel like big squads are such an enemy of progress. It's such an enemy of progress, and so um, yeah, I think I I said it when Tuchel came in when he said, "Oh yeah, I like the amount of attackers," but I said, "No, you need to you need to chill. You need to chill." Um, so yeah, so like I think there's a a good balance, and I I always say this when you think about it like this because I know everybody wants to bring in oh there's cups and competitions and all those Carlin cups and these bullshit token games, right? When it comes down to, when it comes to the Champions League, you're going to play your best team. When it comes to important matches, you're going to play your best team. So that means you're, the players that are playing regularly in the Premier League are also going to play in the Champions League, right? I'm just saying, when you, I always look to the Premier League because that's kind of, if you can manage your, like, essentially, we usually play a front three, right? And there's 38 starts. So you do 38 times three, you know you're going to get roughly just over 100, you know, starts between the front three. And so that, then you know that, really and truly, if you've got five players, then each of them can get 20 starts. If you've got five players with three positions, 
each of them can get 20 starts. Now, I'm not saying all of those players have to get 20 starts. Some can start a little bit more, some can start a little bit less. But you can manage with five. When you start bringing in six, seven, eight, then you're going to have some people that are going to be resentful unless one of your six is like an 18-year-old that is just happy to be around the squad. Do you know what I'm saying? But I just feel like Fort needs to go into it. And I feel like we have... I feel like with Chelsea, there's sometimes when being poor can be your friend. Because you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of... Was it Rick Cross that was like rich people making a remix that rich people make rich people making bad decisions or whatever. But um, I just feel like sometimes when you've got money, you make stupid decisions with that money that the poverty would have protected you from. And where people always say, Chelsea, Chelsea uh, um, don't sign good strikers and all that type of stuff. Look, at a lot of other clubs, when you play striker for that team, you're starting 30 games a season. When you're starting striker for Chelsea, usually there's two strikers there. And you're probably not going to start 30 games a season. So even Drogba, when everybody... International breaks here, so they're probably going to do it again. When everybody counts Drogba, oh, look, most season you didn't score that many goals. Yeah, that's because one season he was competing with Presco and he he didn't play... He only played half the games. Next season, competing with Ben Johnson only started half the games. Next season, started competing with Torres only started half the games. You know what I'm saying? And, and no one says Drogba's a flop. When you look at his numbers, you're like, actually, these are flop numbers. And it's because Chelsea generally we don't necessarily have, give the space for one striker to just start 30 games. And then again, this season, we don't know if, if um, Potter's going to say, Oba, Broja, you both start 20 games and then everyone's going, oh yeah, look, Chelsea, Chelsea strikers don't score more than 10 goals. Yeah, it's the same shit again. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, those are all valid points. I think Potter's come in and I think that's that's one of the things that's been quite interesting because um, we've only had one game, so we, we don't really know what his ideas are. We we haven't really got a sense of who his players are. We don't really know what 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 he's going to do tactically, what he wants from the team. But I think this next run of games after the international break will be quite interesting. Um, just before we move on to that, I just want to you know kind of dip into the the continued fallout from from. Um, Obviously, Thomas Tuchel being sacked. We've had a lot of, of, of things coming out, uh, notably Christian Pulisic um, releasing excerpts from his book that's about to come out. We've had comments from, um, obviously, players like uh, Havertz, Hudson-Odoi. Um, and, I mean, for me, when he was sacked, I was I was, I was, was obviously disappointed that he, he, he was gone. But after I um, started to... Know, read a lot of the information that was coming out um not obviously not assuming all of it is true but it just seems like he, he stops doing a lot of things that made him um so good in the beginning obviously being an excellent communicator um getting picking the squad up after the difficulties we'd had on the frank um he seemed to be like a, a a good player manager um are you surprised about some of the stuff that's come out about him um, Shemi, like, what, 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 what was your thought? What, what are your thoughts? Sorry about the, the way he's treated some of the players, in terms of separating them, um, separating players from the group in preseason. Because at at the time when I when I saw that, I thought, okay, he's being decisive. These players are going to go out on loan. Um, but then you've got players who were separated being brought back in. It just seemed like, I don't know, what what was your reaction to yeah to i think i think that that story in particular about the separation separating the squad thingy uh where he had um a meeting for the players who are here to fight and a meeting for the players who are kind of thinking of going i think that surprised me because i didn't think as you said when Tuchel first came in um Tuchel, I, got, I very much got the impression that Tuchel 
um, was a great man manager and a great communicator. He's super honest in his interviews. So I just, I just um, assumed that that transparency carried on behind um, closed doors, which I think it probably did in the early in the early stages. Um, like I know, I don't know if you remember when he was, when he played fight with Patrick Doyle on the pitch just for like banter when he was coming off the pitch. Like you, you, you kind of saw that he had that relationship, you know, with the players. Um, and he seemed like a super friendly guy in terms of like that communication part. So that was surprising. Um, and knowing, and the type of manager that Tuchel is, like I rate him so highly in terms of like just him as a manager. Um, I kind of thought he would have known a bit better because um, to have the meeting is one thing, and but then to actually like then call on those players that who are not in kind of in your plans, who are kind of, you know, want to leave um, when you're losing and to bring them in the squad for me is just a bit like, I couldn't understand why he would do that. And like I said, someone of Tuchel, I kind of expected him to kind of know a bit better than that because I rate him so highly in every aspect of management. Um, so yeah, that was definitely surprising. In terms of what's come out from certain players, guys like Pulisic, well, no, not really, because they weren't, as, as Daniel said, due to reasons like, you know, the squad being too big or whatever, um, they, they just weren't getting regular game time. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely it's bound to happen. It's bound to foster behind the season. It's bound to come out when the manager goes. So um, I don't know who else it's come out of because I haven't really, I think, I think Hudson Odoi had quite positive things to say about Tuchel, didn't he? I think from what yeah, I saw. Yeah, but it, it, it was, or, so the, it wasn't from him directly. It was more that um, Tuchel didn't think he was good enough um, and only right. kind of saw him as a as a right wing back cover. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, again, like how 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 often is um, Hudson Doyle able to show that in this position when there's so many players? Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah, it doesn't really surprise me that much um especially like the Pusic thing but what he did with the players that that definitely did surprise me because I, I just thought you know about um yeah. and you can't as soon as you lose the players you have you kind of have to go in my opinion um and I feel like when you're fostering that environment behind the scenes um on top of the fact that we know two like can be super passionate um from what we see in the touchline so he kind of has that 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 nature about him where he can be a bit feisty um yeah it's it's just bound to, to end disaster really so I definitely think someone of his caliber, as elite as he is, could have definitely handled that situation in terms of the players a, a bit better. But um, it is what it is, really. Can I get my thoughts yeah. on Tuchel? Because yeah. I, I think I've always said from a lot, there's always been positives, but I think even from the beginning, there's been negatives in terms of Tuchel and his relationship with players. Um, from the very beginning, we questioned things like how he was to Werner on the touchline. And some people's like, grow up, that's a football environment, all that type of stuff. I'm like, personally, I'm like, look, when it comes down to it, if you like, not emasculate me, but you know what I'm saying? If you patronize me, like some of the stuff that he gets when he loses his call, we've all seen Tuchel when he's calm and considered. Yeah. But we've all, like, when Tuchel loses his call, he's not, he doesn't have any filter. Yeah. And he doesn't hold no barbs, you know what I'm saying? He will say things and he will make faces. And I'm sorry, like, when it comes down to it, that type of stuff with people with egos, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I've said it, to like, when it comes down to it, so, like, I know people say it's a different environment, it's a competitive environment, but look, these guys have egos. And if I'm in a workplace and people talk shit about me, then immediately I'm like, all right, cool. Do you know what I'm saying? And those all right, calls will build up. Even with people that have those, those I calls build up. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, like, like every single time he's doing that, 
it kind of lessens the relationship. And like, there's some managers that have it where they can do that type of stuff, but then they've got the charisma to bring them back. And I, like, I remember when Kante, when he first came in, it was Kovacic and Jorginho, and Kante wasn't playing that much. But Tuchel was saying, no, Kante is a special player. I wanted him at PSG. But I can see Kante, he was unsure, does this guy rate me? And I remember Tuchel kind of was cut. Like, I remember he brought him on as a substitute. And then as he was coming off, Kante was unhappy because Kante is a type to want to always be played and be treated as a premium player. And I remember he was trying to cuddle Kante, but Kante wasn't kind of responding to it. Now, obviously, I think Tuchel won Kante over. But I just feel like he's always had that kind of thing where the way he talks about players, it doesn't surprise me that the longer he stays places the more like players will be like, nah, do you know what I'm saying? Because there, there's there's a thing where immediately, like when, when like I remember when Mourinho comes into a team, like even a Spurs, it was going, oh my God, that's Mourinho, that's Mourinho. But very quickly for these players, like all of that washes away. Do you know what I'm saying? Tuchel won the Champions League and he was the hero, et cetera, et cetera. But as soon as you don't start winning and then you start trying to do those same things, like, it's not going to fly. And I feel like whether it's the double sub and all of that type of stuff, there's always mm. been there's always been signs that Tuchel and the kind of player relationship, like, he can throw daggers. That's what I'm saying. So I don't think it's new. Um, and in terms of this whole dressing room, who wants to stay, who wants to go, I think sometimes, kind of like with Lampard, you can kind of feel like you're losing control of the will a little bit. And don't forget, he had to manage up. He didn't have uh, Czech or Marina there. He had to manage up. And he, like, already we can see the friction in that relationship. Plus, you can already see all, all the unhappy players here. You're hoping to kind of get rid of as many of them as possible to bring in new blood so they're all, they're all happy because you've pissed off a few of them. You can't get all of that business done. And so it's the mess that he created, I think. A lot of it is the mess that he created because really and truly, okay, it's not just completely him because obviously it's a situation caused by Roman Abramovich, new people. He's just someone that wants to focus on the pitch. But if he was managing up a bit better, I know there's some times where these new guys come in and they don't make sense and all that type of stuff. But I just feel like sometimes you kind of have to just realise that they're still your boss and you still have to manage up. And that means bring them along. Do you know what I'm saying? And keep continue explaining to them, even if they keep on back coming back with Cristiano, even if they do put a four for free, continue explaining and not just like, okay, I don't want to speak to you anymore. Because that relationship breaking down is crucial. It's very crucial. And so yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I think in life you've always you've 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 got to know how to maintain relationships and you've, and you've yeah. got to know how to communicate with people. And it's and we know we, we know this on the everyday level, it's not even like this is football side here just on an everyday level with your friends um um, romantic relationships even and in the workplace especially we've all worked in environments whereby you know you've got maybe a boss who's possibly i don't know a bit annoying or whatever um but at the end of the day we have to work together as a team every single day so we've got to find a way to communicate we've got to find a way to kind of um find a middle ground where we can work together do you know what i mean and um and it's a skill it's a skill and you know what i see it as i see it as when he first, Bowley first came in, kind of like with Tuchel on a touchline. At first, he's like, nice guy, Tuchel. But then when it becomes more and more mistakes from them, the more frustrated he gets, 
the more came to come back with Cristiano, and that's when the real two comes out, and that's when he starts snapping, and that's where the like. And don't forget, Bowley doesn't need to collect the eye calls straight away. He's like, that's the second eye call he's got. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. so, and so I feel like with again, like with the two call thing, it's not necessarily surprising. UEFA Champions League football is streaming on Paramount Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration is underway with the biggest stars, top teams and craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every game from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona and more in football's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time and extra time and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Right. Uh, moving on, um, I just want to talk briefly about the search for the sporting director, which is currently ongoing. Um, obviously, we were, li- we were linked with, um, is it Leipzig or Salzburg? So, Christoph Freund. Um, Salzburg. Salzburg. Um, and it seems like he's decided to stay. Yeah. Um, obviously this is not something that we as fans have that much you know exposure to um, we don't really see what goes on behind the scenes and that's kind of what where the sporting director operates but what, what have you thought so far about the search is there like any candidates you've you've been hoping for do you want a bigger role for the sporting director um, what, what were your thoughts so far on this Shemi um, to be honest yeah I, I don't have much thoughts on it because, like, like you said, it's it's not something that uh, the average football fan is knowledgeable on. Um, yeah, one thing I will say is that um, it is something that I would have preferred to have been sorted, um, like as soon as. So, like when we were linked with the the Salzburg guy, um, if that got done there and then, um, so what, like a week ago um, or this week, whenever it was, um, that would have been a. I think that would have been a positive. Um, because then at least like in this like little mini break, like we've, we've kind of putting some pieces together. Um, because obviously we've got a new manager in and then there's still some other extra jigsaw pieces to be added in. Um, I think that kind of would have been the final piece, um, coming off the back of the transfer window, new manager. So that would have been a positive, I think. But um, yeah, it kind of is what it is. It, 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 I'm kind of limited on, on this topic because yeah, like I said, I don't really know too many, uh, too much about it. Um, I don't know too many. Uh, sporting directors who I would pick. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Well, the only thing I would probably say is that I, it getting sorted sooner rather than later is definitely a positive for us. And rather it not drag on, um, like late into like the new year. Um, so yeah, you know what I think? I think with anything, Kevin, or maybe I'm just patient, but I just feel like the right man is the most important thing. So even if that means it drags on, uh, I'd rather the right man come in and then, because again, this is going to be the architect of the team. Um, so I feel like it's such an important thing that can't be rushed. And obviously, ideally, we can bring the right man in um, sooner rather than later. But the most important thing over the timing is the right man. Um, in terms of a sporting director, I so, so Leonardo, I remember when Leonardo was at AC Milan and just... Don't forget, like, Leonardo was a player, then he just became, they just kind of gave him the job. It's not like he was some master scout, but what he did is he had really good connections with a lot of Brazilian players. And so that Ancelotti team, 
with Seidoff, etc. I had quite a good a Brazilian grounding. With, you know, Cafu joined from Roma because of Leonardo. Kaka joined. Emerson joined. Um, there were so many. Um, I'm trying to remember. Mancini, for those people that are a little bit older. That, like, they had so many Brazilians. And obviously, Ronaldinho joined later on. Ronaldo joined. And, and um, obviously, again, when PSG started out, Leonardo went to PSG. Leonardo, again, I wouldn't say best scout ever, but because he was so linked in South America, like, I, I think he just created a hub for South America. And that's why, like, even Edu at Arsenal, I don't think, Ed, again, like, we saw with them initially first trying to get William and all these guys, like, it's not like Edu, some amazing mastermind with 50 years' experience in terms of scouting players. But, what he was is someone that could bring in the best talents from a rich area of talent. Now, I've always liked, I've always said if I was to start a team or if I was to be like the sporting director of a team, one of the most important things is access to the hotbeds of talent. Now, we all remember when Wenger came in from um, Japan to Arsenal, wherever, I can't remember what club he was managing Japan, but... Um, he had that knowledge of the French market and the continental market. And so he was able to pick, he was able to tell Thierry, come trust me, trust me, come come join my thing at Arsenal. Vieira, come join my thing. Because he, he, he was so connected to French. And so Arsenal were almost like the French national team with all of these players that was able to, like Wenger was able to leverage to bring in. And I always say that if you're going to base your team on, like I feel like building a team, because it's kind of good to have a throughput. So obviously, because we're based in England, we're going to have like, uh, and because um, we've got a lot of good academy players, we're going to have some English players. But then I always also think it's good to have a batch of players from the same nationality um, because they kind of mesh well, play similar football. They'll probably get along well as well because they have to go to the national team um, together as well. Obviously, you can't always force that, but I think it's always good because sometimes like, um, let's say we was to buy a player from Japan and, there's no one else with Japanese and he just feels isolated and et cetera, et cetera. So it's always good to kind of have that collective. And so I, I just think that really and truly, like when we linked with the guy from Salzburg, I, I just imagined him bringing in these random players from everywhere. I just don't, I feel like we wouldn't build something fluid. Whereas I like having like a, a uh, kind of group of national players. I remember when Rafa Benitez was at Liverpool and they had the, a, the Spanish lot and it helped because it was the Spanish lot mixed with the English lot. And when Queiroz was trying to like walk Ronaldo, Nani and like, do you know what I'm saying? Had the Portuguese stroke, whatever lot at Manchester United. And I think I, per I personally wouldn't, I don't care about these names. Like, oh, um, the guy at PSG or whatever. Really and truly, what I care is that someone is very connected and that someone really cares, obviously, as well, not just any random person from that area. But if you can get someone that is really connected, that can convince a lot of the best, not just average, but a lot of the best French or a lot of the best Brazilian to come join me at my project because you're so well connected, etc. I wouldn't mind that. It doesn't even have, you don't have to always win and get the best talent by unearthing. There's other ways to do it too. 
and and so yeah so for me personally I, I'd like Chelsea to be based on um, the best Brazilian talent if we could because I always think they've just got so much talent in excess so whereas like with another nationality like with Belgium once you've taken the first three, the best three or four players the, the rest the, there's not much depth with Brazil there's so much depth um, so best Brazilian, best French, because again, I think there's so much depth in French talent um, and and in Argentine as well. I think that's another player area of depth. But Argentine, I'm not as, as much. I think Brazil and France are a good place. So personally, I'd like someone. And I remember with with Roman, we bought in De Visser and De Visser is from Holland, but he was obsessed with Brazilian talent as well which is why we try to bring in Neymar, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously he was a bit yeah. more kind of disparate. But yeah, that's that's all my only thoughts on it. Hey, listen, Dan Soffer's point, director. Ah, oh, trust me, man. Like, we have to <laughs> negotiate, though. Chelsea, for sure. We have to negotiate, though, because I'm not going to go cheap. Just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm joking, I'll be cheap. Just, just give me the job. <laughs> all right. But looking at, um, I was looking at our fixtures um, after the international break. And uh, we go to Palace, um, and then it's Milan, Wolves, and then Milan again. Um, obviously, this is uh, the, the, the four tough fixtures. I mean, there's n- there's not really any easy games in the Premier League anymore. Um, it's 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 looking to be quite competitive this season. Um, adding the fact that we haven't really started well, we don't really look to have any rhythm at the moment. Um, it'll be a tough test um, for for Graham Potter. Um, where do you think we can pick up points in in those in those fixtures? How 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 are you feeling about the, especially the two Milan fixtures? I, I think he's in a position where he has to pick up points. Do you know what I mean? Um, whether whether we think we we can find them here or there, I think like the position we're in, we have to. So think about the league. Obviously, um, we haven't started great, so um, we want to be picking up three points sooner rather than later. Um, but the Champions League, especially the fact that we haven't won our first two games, we're in a position now where back to back against Milan. You know what I mean? Like we're in a situation where we have to, we, we kind of have to get four points from those two games um, minimum to stand a chance of of, of topping that group. Um, and it looked like we probably might still finish second, even still. So yeah, it's it's difficult. It's it's, it's difficult. I think the Palace game is will be very tough. I think it's it's not the ideal game you'd want after kind of what we've kind of the turbulence we've kind of been through and the international break and whatever. Um but I I, I believe we can pick up points um against Palace. I believe we can beat I believe we can beat at least uh, Milan at least once. Um the walls I haven't really watched as much this season but they seem to be quite solid. Um but they don't seem like they can score a lot. So I feel like um if we can kind of be the same and and, and you know um score a couple of goals we can beat them. Um so yeah, definitely tough, but I don't feel like I, feel, I. I kind of I'm a bit optimistic about this kind of next run um, in the sense that I feel like um, there was a lot of positive signs to take from Potter's first game, um, even though the result was disappointing. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how much time he's going to have with the players because I know a lot of our players are on international duty and stuff. Um, but if we can take kind of what the good stuff that we did against um, who did we play again? Was it? Who did we play again? Oh, be Salzburg. Salzburg, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah Salzburg, if you could take a lot, some of the positives that we that we um, in the Salzburg game and kind of just um, build on that, I feel like we can definitely pick up at least three wins in the next four games. Uh, but they won't be easy at all. Um, but it definitely, definitely can pick up um, some wins in that end for me. I mean, it could, it could, be, it could be tough. We've got, um, of course, 
this bad start in the Champions League, but we've also got City in the uh, in the League Cup, so mm. we could be we could potentially be out of two competitions by the end of November. Um, but per- personally, I think uh, I think uh, Rafael Leal might have something hot for us. Yeah, <laughs> from what I've seen of Milan, um, I feel like I feel like it does seem like Leal is the is the main spark. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they've got Giroud, who's a really good box striker. Um, Tomori looks to be really, really comfy as well. But outside of that, I feel like if you can kind of contain Liao. So I watched, I think I watched their first um, two games. And I feel like I get, I kind of get the vibe that if you, if you can contain Liao, then, you know, you can, you can, you can beat them um, because um, they've got, they've got good centre-backs, um, decent full-backs. But I feel like generally as a team, I think we've got more than them. Um, but again, going to the San Siro with the atmosphere is not going to be easy. Um, same thing going to Selhurst Park, tight pitch, um, off the international break, different quality players are high, etc. And I think it's going to be interesting as well to see um, how Potter approaches the Palace game because obviously uh, in his first game against Salzburg, obviously Sterling played um, wing back was what was really high and didn't really um, defend too much. Uh, it would be interesting to get to team like Palace who have dangerous wide players. You know the likes of um, whether it's Olise. I don't. I don't know if Olise really been starting the season. But if let's say Olise played on that right hand side, if he would go with the same approach, because obviously, then um, it's basically because if, if, if you watch the Salzburg game back, Sterling wasn't really. Defend- I know Sterling was playing wing back, but he wasn't really getting back into wing back positions to defend. Um, so it could be a potential area for Palace to exploit potentially. Um, but then again, if they're playing like Ayu. It could be all right because you know he's not the most dangerous one v one threat, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Potter approaches that game. Um, and yeah, yeah, let's, let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. But we need to get we we can't we can't afford to lose another Champions League game um, because then I think we'll be in real real trouble of going to the Europa League. Um, so yeah, it's it's almost a shame because these games are quite high pressure games, and I always feel like you don't really get to see a manager express his ideas fully in these games because obviously they're quite pressure encounters and you tend to get <clears throat> you tend to get them going for the safe option um going with you know similar to his first game going with experience um i'm just interested to see like the guys who've made a good start to the season for example like um loftus cheek uh sterling um definitely broja like what what what's going to happen with them because I mean, if if, the, if anyone deserves a start for me, I think or deserves a chance, I think it's definitely Broja because the 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 two guys ahead of him haven't been pulling up any trees. Um, I've obviously got stocks on, <laughs> I've got stocks on uh, in Broja. I'm underrated. I'm loading up those stocks. So, um, sorry, just, just on that, yeah, chance. I feel like I feel like um, he should definitely go. He should definitely start the way he means to go. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you know. That like you know like you favor Broya or you favor whoever X Y Z whoever it may be. I feel like even though the games are tough and, and whatnot, I think you should definitely try and start with what you kind of feel as soon as possible um, because it's only gonna because I feel like it's only gonna bode. I don't feel like it's good to kind of go with a safe option and then when it doesn't go well, then all of a sudden you just have to ditch it midway. Like I don't, I don't feel like that's the way to go. I feel like you definitely start with how you feel, um, who you favor kind of thing. So if it's Broya, go with Broya. Um, do you know what I mean? And then, like, kind of stick with it because eventually it'll pay dividends. Because there's a reason why, obviously, you see something in them. Um, 
but yeah, and more more often than not, I think most of us are kind of in, in agreement of, in in those selections. So, for example, if a brother was to start, I think we'd all be kind of be in agreement that he deserves it. Um, so yeah, I definitely think Potter should be um, brave. I don't, I'm not with you know the safe options like an ASP, for example. Um, I think he should definitely be brave and go with what he kind of feels stamp his authority, his identity on the team as, as soon as possible, um, because then long term will benefit will benefit more, in my opinion. So yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I, yeah, I definitely always find it fascinating when a new manager comes in um, because then you get to see different sides of the squad. You get to see what the team would look like um, under a different ideology, um, and I think if if there's one thing we we definitely need, um, it's maybe maybe some change, maybe for the squad to start pulling in the same direction. Um, all right, going on to the internationals now. I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the international um, break, um, but I thought I thought we'd do a little um, just a a little fun run through of um the england squad so dad i'm going to come to you mm-hmm. um, if you ha- if you had to pick your england 11 for the world cup whoa this isn't chessy hour what are we listen, doing listen this is the opportunity to throw in as many chelsea players as possible mm-hmm. but i've 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 been quite interested to, in how the season is going obviously we've got a lot of options um a lot of players fighting for those world cup spots um, and it's definitely shaping a, a lot of the, the, the discourse around the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought, listen, it's the international break. There's no football on. Is it? I, I want to get your, I want to get an insight into your 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 England elevens. You, I think you make the mistake to think that I care about the England team. I don't. <laughs> I, I really, I really, I really, I really <laughs> don't that much. <laughs> <laughs> right, gen, gen, generally, then who who have you got for the World Cup? Who have I got for the World Cup? Um, that's cold because obviously I'm Nigerian. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, I, I, yeah, okay, I guess I'm English too. In terms of the England 11, um, I'm looking at the players now. I think you, I think Sterling carried them in the last tournament. So I think he should be a shoe in. I think Kane is another shoe in. I think Bellingham has to start for me. Um, um, I'm just looking through at the, the shoe-ins. I actually, I'd start with Trent. I can't lie. Um, right back or right wing back? I don't know what form. I'm not even doing formation. But I I think I'd play with Trent. I'd play How's Trent. That? Huh? Because I, I really like Trent's on-the-ball qualities. And so I know that these, look, I'm one of these people that, I know that everybody likes to focus on the negatives, but these players have positives too, right? So... Again, it's on the manager to kind of cover the negatives, but I just feel like I would like Trent's um, creativeness and his ingenuity with passing, especially for our England team. That's not a skill that we're blessed with over the pitch. And so I'm taking that. I'm taking it. I feel like he's like, he's amazing on, uh, just in terms of passes that he picks, I think that they're amazing. So yeah, I'd I'd definitely have uh, Trent starting. Um, I like... Who else have we got? Um, I, I listen. I'm not a big fan of Rice, so I wouldn't be starting him. I'll get that in there quickly. Ruben Loftus Cheek, go on. Foden. Uh, Foden. I'd play. I play Foden, but I think with Foden, sometimes I don't think he has to be on the pitch all the time. Where yeah, I agree. I, 
yeah. But he looks, he looks a bit lost for England, to be honest with you. But even even for City, like I just feel like again, again, I'm not I'm not shitting on Foden because that's like he's still young. But I think certain players are at a point where now you feel like they can carry a team, like Sterling, like a Kane, and I think even Trent creative creative wise. I don't think Foden's at that point where he has to be on because he's like a team carrier, but he's still young, so he can still grow into that. I'm just looking at the players that I think, yeah, these are spine players. Um, do you reckon Madison could do that? Do that role? No, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I think I, I think Bellingham is underrated. Uh, uh, shout out to the brand, but I think Bellingham is underrated, and I, Bellingham will be key for me in defence. Um, let's see if the players in the fence. Um, Sancho didn't get picked, but I don't, I don't think that he has to be involved. Um, obviously, Reese James in the mix. Um, I think I think Carl Walker Peters should be playing. Um, yeah, because I think he's really good. I agree. Um, on the left, because I don't think we don't have that many great options on the left. Um, and I think Carl Walker Peters is someone that is has played that role really well. Um, and I think that's enough for me in terms of the England stuff. You can go to Jimmy. Right. Um, per- personally, I'm I'm going with all source if, if, if I'm picking that England team because I despise watching England. Um, aside from major tournaments, it's just a just boring, aimless football, really. Um, in, from my point of view, um, and I think even in in the tournaments, uh, going back to the the whole Sterling thing, a, a big reason why I didn't like Sterling is because the only time I really saw him, like I don't really watch Man City that much, the only time I really saw him was for England, mm-hmm. and I was just like, what I'm seeing for England, I just don't want to watch that week, like week on week at Chelsea. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't massively against the signing. I just didn't I didn't get it. I didn't get why we were going for him. Um, and obviously that was just basing on the England performances, and I think. The funny thing about England is a lot of players look like that um, when when they play international football. And it's obviously a different game. You have different. You have less time to work with the squads. Um, but but generally, I just think, you know, if you play well um, in in international football, if you can get a rhythm going, um, then momentum usually can can carry you through a tournament. Um, I think in this one, if we have a good run. If we have a, a similar run that we, we've had in the past two tournaments, um, then we can go far. But aside from that, I don't think we'll do much um, in the World Cup, to be honest with you. Um, but if if I was going for a team, if, if it wasn't Southgate, because it's interesting, um, I think when uh, the Spanish team was picked, um, a lot of people were questioning why um, I think Aspas wasn't in the team. And I, I think the manager came back saying that, listen, the way he plays for, I believe it was Salta, um it's perfect for him um and you know we don't really play like that at spain so i can i can get that but you know decisions like you know not picking um like tomori not getting a look in um madison not getting a look in uh, these don't feel like you know their decisions based on tactical things tactical elements it just feels like you know the manager doesn't fancy them and that's fair enough but um I think at international level, if you're not using all the players at your disposal, um, then I don't, I don't know. If you're not picking for for tactical reasons, and you're not, you know, you're not, you know what? 
Sorry, just could I? Okay, go ahead, Jimmy. You go first, Jimmy. Uh, so I was, I was going to ask you, obviously you spoke about the tactical thing and um, you mentioned like, you know, not picking for certain players. So I think, um, as what, what do you actually think about the Mason Mount thing in terms of um, the narrative that he can carry out the tactical instructions? Because um, obviously we watch him week in, week out at club level. Um, do we think that that's something valid um, if that's the reason why South Bay favours him over Madison? Or like, yeah, I just thought that would be a... Decent. I want to get you guys so, on that. Actually, so part of the reason why I asked this question is because um, I was at football yesterday and I spoke to someone. He was like, he was like, yeah, Mason Mount has to start. He has to start. <laughs> and you couldn't really give me a reason why. But for me, I, I think, listen, these are all, these are the best 22 or 23 players in the country. Um, if you're taking Mason Mount just because you can follow instructions, then well, we've lost already, haven't we? Um, I think definitely he's a player that gives you that that engine in the middle um, and that can be useful but I don't think if if you're playing someone like Declan Rice um, and Calvin Phillips to, to screen your defence I don't think you need Mount in there um, I think it's 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 generally give and take um, I personally wouldn't have him in there just because in international football I don't feel like he's needed for the majority of the games um, I feel like most of the opposition we play um, we struggle to break them down. Um, we look tepid. Um, we lack creativity, and I don't think I don't think Mount helps with any of that. In the in the bigger games, um, I feel like definitely he has a place. Um, and I feel like he should be in the squad one hundred percent, but I don't I don't necessarily feel like he should be starting um, every game. And I feel like our approach doesn't change necessarily um, with the big games between the big bigger and the smaller games. Um, I feel like generally try we try and do the same things. Um, in tournament football, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't really blame Southgate. There's not that much time to work with the players, but uh, for me, listen, looking at the squad, it feels like we're crying out for a player with creativity, ingenuity. Um, that might help Kane a little bit as well because he tends to be quite ineffective um, because he's, you know, dropping deep to link up with the play, and you just don't really see his impact as much for England as you do with Spurs. Um, whether that whether that's because he doesn't have players running beyond him, um, or whatever reason it is, um, I just feel like there's something not quite right. You know what is? You, you know what is for me. So I think with Spurs, kind of alluding to what I was talking about at the top of the pod, you have to understand the difference between international football and um, club football. When you do something regularly, you've got the chance to make it up. Club football is cons- like just incessant. Do you know what I'm saying? And I feel like um, Kane, like last season, can go a long time, part of the season, not scoring goals, and then make up for it back end of the season. International tournaments, if you if you go a few games without going, you just don't have a good tournament. Do you know what I'm saying? And I feel like um, whereas people like, oh, this player's not the same for the club, etc. It's just like there's a short window and you have to be on form in that short window. And it's not always easy. Um, I think when we're talking about um, Mount and Southgate, I think we've mentioned a little bit about Southgate. Why are you picking these players? I've laid off Southgate a bit. And I, I like to be honest when I've kind of made shouts that I just feel like they're wrong now. And I remember when I was saying, why are you playing Mount over Sancho? Why are you playing Mount 
over Grealish. It's a no-brainer and all that type of stuff. And to be fair, I'd still pick Grealish over Mount. But from what I was thinking before, I thought it was a no-brainer. But now I feel like it's not as much of a no-brainer. It is a bit different when Grealish is playing for Aston Villa compared when he's playing for a bigger team. Now, I think when Grealish came into games for England, he did make a, a good difference. And so, again, like I'd still play Grealish over Mount. But I just feel like, whereas a lot of people try to kind of push, put it onto Southgate saying, oh, this is not tactical and you're not being fair. Like, he's evaluating these players in training and I feel like he's trying his best for England to win. And so I don't necessarily think it's anything in terms of he's not picking because of this reason, that reason. I feel like he's just looking at it and thinking, okay, I'm going to try and put the best team together. Now, his version of the best team might not be your version of the best team, but I don't know. I just feel, I look at him and I don't think he's... uh, I don't think it's a bias or anything like that. I just feel like he's got his own players that he believes can help England do well. And I think Mount is one of those players. Um, in terms of Mount being a surefire starter, just quickly on it, I don't for Chelsea, I don't think he should be a surefire starter personally, but it's just that he's got this bond with the fans and like your friend saying he has to start. I do kind of think it becomes more of, I don't know, I think Mount's done well into kind of people... I guess believing he's a big game player, even for England, where I don't think he's been a big player, game player for England. Um, and even for Chelsea, I think he's done well in big games, but I think other attackers have done well in big games too. Like I think Pulisic has done well in big games, but Pulisic doesn't get the pedestal that Mount's been put on. Um, so I think that the marketing has been good. Um, personally, <laughs> I, I don't think um, England should be built around Mount. And I feel like they might face similar problems to Chelsea if they do that. Um, I, I wouldn't start, I wouldn't necessarily start Madison either. I don't think, yeah, we do need creativity, but, and, and listen, Madison might go to a bigger team and then he just looks like a no brainer in a big team. And so I'll be happy if that happens. But I just think with um, Madison as well, even though, look, he's got a great shot, he's got creativity, all of that type of stuff. So in the right system, if it's built that way, then maybe it makes sense. But I just feel like in the system that they seem committed to in the 3-4-3, there's other players you'll probably play in that front three, and I don't think you can play them in the pivot. Right. Um, I mean, I I feel like Southgate has definitely given a lot of... um, I think he he values you know the contribution of these past players. I don't necessarily think he picks them just because of like um, vibes and and team um, team morale. But I think he definitely gives a lot of a lot of um, value to the players that have performed from him in the past. But if that was um, true, then he, like like I don't I I still don't even kind of accept that because like I just feel like he's just trying to do what works. That's why Saka like even Foden look. Like, like he just, Saka came in on a tournament and he just started starting. Do you know what I'm saying? And I know like Bellingham, Bellingham. There was, there's not really anyone to challenge him for that right wing spot, though. Well, yeah, well, well, I'm saying they they went in the tournament with Foden there. Um, they had other options like Sancho, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and he picked who he thought was best. And I thought I just feel like he'll look to who he thinks is best and play who he thinks is best. It's not necessarily going to be who everybody else does but I think tactics comes into it so where people are looking like oh Bellingham needs to play but he's probably thinking do you know what 
we need two proper defensive type players in there and not someone that's trying going to try and get in the box and all of that type of stuff. And that's why I'm going to be playing a Declan Rice and uh, uh, Phillips because they're more sacrificial uh, as opposed to Bellingham. That's kind of the way that I see it. I, I just don't see this kind of whole, uh, I'm sticking with the loyal players and stuff like that. I feel like from what I've seen anyway, like he's just trying to do what he can to win. I, 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 I don't know if I agree Fair with enough. that. Fair um, especially with the, the whole Maguire thing last year. That that was the real indication for me was oh, okay. It's not it's not about performances. It's not about form. Um, but but I think what he said was Maguire's performed for England. He, I don't think he said he perform, he didn't perform for uh, United because I think he specifically said for England he's doing it for me. And I think with managers sometimes you have to make that call. Do you know like there's sometimes players aren't going to be playing well for their club, but there might be reasons. Like with Chelsea fans, we see it now. There might be reasons why that comes into it. Um, and if a player is playing well for the international team, if I'm the manager and every single time he's coming and I'm playing him, he's doing a decent job. Now, look, I, I don't watch England like that. So maybe he's been playing shit for England too. But I'm saying if I'm an international manager and I'm picking players and they're doing well for me, I'm going to continue picking them. The, 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 the issue with that is it doesn't leave a lot of space for others to compete for that spot. It it, re- um, it really it really it really I get, but it really depends if the the players that again like Maguire w- was given the captain and stuff like. That. If I feel like the player that I'm picking is playing to a really high level, um, and then I I'm not necessarily going to gamble on it. I'm not necessarily going to gamble because again, it's like what I said with Tuchel. You can't bring everyone along. If you try to do the whole give everyone a chance, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you're not going to be able to build a team. And so some, some of it is just requires patience. I know everybody wants, oh, this player's playing well, chuck him in, et cetera, et cetera. But like, again, like just what we're talking about with Chelsea, like when you throw players together, it's not necessarily, and you're, and you're going against other teams where everybody knows who everybody is, they've played together for ages because you don't get that much in, time in international football. Then really and truly what you're building, you're, you're almost kind of throwing away. So I'm just saying for me, not, I'm not even a Southgate fan, but I just feel like it's a lot more complicated um, than, than what a lot of people make in where you could just chuck players in and take them out when you're trying to build something. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, guys, I think we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, does anyone have any, any more points they want to cover? Shemi, you got any points? Shemi's already gone, man. We went past <laughs> We went past the show. I was having technical difficulties on meeting. But no, I don't. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. I ain't got any players as well. guys, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you for joining us for another episode of Chessy Hour. I uh, remember to leave a review. Um, and I wish you next time. I'm not going to read it. Andropper! That's what I'm saying. He will never be forgotten. He's in one. Just came back from the Sports Social Podcast Network.